Advent 2019. And I'm Dennis, and I get the privilege of uh, opening the Word this morning. We're just going to keep in that place of worship as we think about the Scripture that we just heard. Uh, Our adventure uh, over the next four weeks is going to be in the book of Ruth. And uh, this is uh, is an amazing story. We're going to read one chapter each week. Amazing story. But a thousand years before Jesus is born, this young woman is going to have a baby boy. And she's going to have that baby boy in Bethlehem. A thousand years before Christ is born. And that's why we've titled this series, The Christmas Before Christmas. Because as is his way, God often uses stories in the Bible and and repeats them multiple times so we can get the thread of of what he's saying and doing. And the story of Ruth uh, opens our eyes to what God wants to do in our lives. And our prayer is that we would each have a Christmas before Christmas, that we would each have an encounter with the living God that would open our hearts to what God wants to do this year, this time, this Christmas. So we call in this the Christmas before Christmas, and uh, our hope is that the story of Ruth will stir you and challenge you and encourage you. And um, so for Advent, uh, we've we've set some goals, and it's, it's all around the idea of are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to have an encounter with the living Christ? And that is what... We hope to happen in the holidays. They often let us down, but we hope that we would have this encounter. And so the, the whole idea of Advent, Advent, uh, we get that from the Latin word Adventus. The Latin word Adventus comes from the Greek word parousia. Parousia is the word in the Bible that talks about the second return of Jesus. So Advent was always about looking ahead to the second coming of Christ. Yes, look back at his birth, but look ahead to his second coming. So what I'm hoping and what we are hoping happens over Advent 2019 is that, first of all, each and every one of us is convicted of our wavered ways. It's a time to get sized up. And Jamie preached on this last week about confession and forgiveness. Whenever we see something not right in our life, we confess God forgives and we, we are then released and refreshed and awakened spiritually. It doesn't work the other way around. Uh, it works that way. And, and, and as we're refreshed, I hope what we can see is the grandeur of God's plan that he's got things in motion in history the birth of the child in Ruth chapter 4 will prefigure the birth of Christ. But also, as Christ rose from the dead, as he ascended into heaven, as he poured out the Holy Spirit, he set in motion the church. He set in motion us who are here to be messengers of God's kingdom. And so we see the grandeur of his plan that he works over centuries. And right now, he's working in each of your lives. 
And some of you have children even with you in the service this morning and some who have just left to go downstairs and he's working in their lives and he is moving to accomplish his purposes in your lives, in, their, in my life. And that's where we see the big picture of God's kingdom. That gives us a chance to engage with family and friends and to look around and say, what is happening? And how is my life unfolding? And what does God want to do with my life? Which then turns us into a people who are hard after God. And when we're hard after God, we can start to reset our thinking on the kingdom. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. So we want to look at 2020 as a time to get ourselves refocused, a people hard after God, which makes us makes us contagious to the world around us. That we're actually living and walking with Christ uh, and sharing the good news of Jesus with those around us. So Ruth is a super simple story. Uh, kids can understand it. It's four chapters. It's this little book stuck here at the near the front end of the Bible. Uh, it's packed with themes and with lessons for us. You know, Paul, the apostle, wrote in the letter to the Corinthians that we actually have these Old Testament stories like Ruth as warnings and as opportunities to learn the things of God. So they're there for us to learn. And so the themes that we're going to see in Ruth, uh, today I'm going to zero in on faith and what true biblical faith is. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at grace, then obedience, and then destiny, the way God works in our lives to accomplish His purposes. And then uh, on Christmas Eve, we're going to tie it together by looking at the awe of the majesty of the things God put in place, including dropping a star in to lead the wise men to the newborn king. And then finally, with all of that, we'll be able to look ahead as families at the hope that we actually have because of the work of Christ and because of the way God has woven the biblical story around us. So let me pray. Father, I just ask that you would help us see all of the elements of your good news, of your gospel, in matters of faith and grace and obedience Lord, that you would fully accomplish your purposes in our lives, that we would not get in the way, and that you would change us any way you want this morning as we look at your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ruth is located in your Bible. Uh, If you've got a pew Bible here, it's page 258, but it's right in between the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel. It's, as I said, a very short story. And it comes at a time in the history of Israel where things are really dark. So if you look at the last verse of the book of Judges, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. So the nation of Israel at that time was every, everyone for themselves. Everyone for themselves. It was dark. It was the dark ages of the nation of Israel, and there wasn't much happening spiritually. So the book of Ruth, kind of, and Ruth herself 
emerges as like a diamond in this very black background. And she's shining with amazing light uh, as God shines through her. But in the days of the judges, this is uh, right around 1100 B.C. All right? Uh, At the end of chapter 1, they come back to Bethlehem and it's the time of the barley harvest. That would be the Jewish month of Nisan or March, April timing of the year when the barley is ripe. The time is full of apostasy and immorality. The Jewish people have been worshiping the god of the Canaanites called Baal. And Baal is the god of fertility. Uh, His female partner, Ashtaroth, and he uh, are rumored to have had sex, and that's what makes the ground fertile. That's what makes women fertile to have children. So they were worshiping that. One of the famous people in the book of Judges is Gideon. His father was a Baal worshiper. So this is what was going on. The judgment of God, therefore, was to send another nation, the Midianites, to attack them and disrupt them and essentially burn all their crops. So they had a famine as a result of God's judgment of a lukewarm people. And this is not so much dissimilar from the way we see things today, as that we see clear, clear signs of God's displeasure with a nation that is focused on the worship of money, of power, of sex, where immorality and uh, dissent and discord is the norm for the day, spiritual lukewarmness, and we're surrounded by war, terror, and we're also surrounded by idolatry. So this is, this is the picture and the, the situation. So I want us to see how relevant this is to daily life here in uh, Marymount, Ohio in 2019. So in the first chapter... I just want to focus in on three characters that we're introduced to. Uh, There's Elimelech, uh, there's Naomi, and Ruth. Now, Elimelech is essentially doing his own thing. And he's on the faith continuum. He's way over here. He's doing his own thing. He's ignoring God. He may be an Israelite. He may be a part of uh, the religion of the Jewish people, but he is walking by himself and ignoring God. Naomi, she's depressed and she has slid into self-pity and she is uh, blaming God. So we've got ignoring God way over here. We've got blaming God here. And now over here, we have Ruth adoring God, trusting God radically with her life and her future and everything else about her. She's this bright star. But we have this continuum here and we have it for a reason to see how each of us can draw lessons from each of these three characters. So for the rest of my time, I just want to look at each of the three characters briefly. So let's start with Elimelech. Elimelech uh, is the head of this family. His name uh, means God is king. So he had a, hopefully, a religious father or mother, but he's got this name. He's 
maybe a Jew, uh, but we don't really know where he's at except that he is not obviously hearing anything from God. He's just off in his own. He leaves his community. We have no idea what a major step this would be at that time, but he is literally going solo. He is uh, a lone ranger. He is uh, heading and leading his family to a place called Moab. Now, Moab, if you remember, uh, was a nation that was formed because the daughter of Lot got her father drunk and had him commit incest with her so that uh, she could have a child. That's where the nation of Moab uh, started. But all through the Bible, they are enemies of Israel. They are enemies of God because they're worshiping gods that include uh, offering up your children and killing your children and child worship and all kinds of horrific stuff. And we see in the story the names of the sons sort of gives us a clue as to what's going on. But the sons, uh, their names mean sickness and wasting. Now, I'm not sure why you would call your son sickness and wasting, but this is, this is what, it, what it means. And there's, there's no divine leading evident in Elimelech's life. I'm, I'm taking some of this from silence, but there's, clearly he's not aware of the dangers. And clearly uh, there is some kind of judgment on this following the foreign god and following and leading his family into oblivion. So I think the first thing we have to notice here, dads, is are you leading your family to Jesus or are you leading them to some kind of Moab? And we, we need to think through what is the locus of our trust. It seems that Elimelech has left looking for food. Now, it's one thing to feed your family. And jo- Joseph, Jacob sorry, was in this predicament and he sent somebody to buy some food. But to transport your family and to put your family into that environment uh, turns out to be deadly. And I don't know if he uh, thought, well, you know, they've got bail, they've got food, we're going over there. You know, there, there are times where uh, we get up on Black Friday and there's a good deal on something. Well, he got, he got this Black Friday deal on corn in Moab and off he goes and it's oblivion. It's oblivion for him and his family. Now, the next book of the Bible after Ruth, uh, the very next character we run into is a guy named Elkanah. Now, Elkanah's name means God has possessed. So it's one thing to say, to name your kid and to just say, you know, name him Joseph or Mary or whatever. But it's, it's quite another thing to live that out. And Elkanah is a man who's possessed by God, who's living that life, who ends up being the father of Samuel, the, the great prophet. So Elimelech raises a number of questions in just how we're operating. Are we, are we on our own? Are we seeking divine wisdom? Are we running life decisions by people who know God, who, who have their bearings, who have a life worth imitating? Are we in community of some kind? Are we 
are we taking advantage of the elders in our community? In, in James, in chapter 1, verse 5, a book we just finished studying, the Word of God says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. There's a kingdom wisdom. There's a, there's a way of knowing what is right for your family by the Spirit, by the Word of God, by the community that is following in the wisdom of God. And it is there in God Himself that the locus of our trust should be. If the locus of our trust is in something else, it will ultimately disappoint. It will ultimately lead to oblivion. So the only safe place to lead our family is to the kingdom of Jesus. And Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom. So what can we learn from Elimelech? We can learn that lone rangers do not prosper. We can learn, uh, as Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat because I'm going to take care of you. Subject yourself to your elders. Engage others in your big decisions. And uh, at the very root of it is, where is your trust? Where is your trust? There's a tragic story of a man who was part of this congregation 15 years ago when I was new, who announced suddenly that he was building a giant home far away from here, that he would be leaving the church. He had not discussed this with anyone. He had not checked the wisdom of that. He was in the middle of establishing his business. Uh, The Proverbs tell us to get your business straight before you build your house. But he uh, did not check on anything. And over the next several years, uh, his life began to fall apart. He was alone. And then his marriage started to fray and fall apart. His children started to fray and fall apart. Led to divorce. Led to losing the house. Led to even, over the last couple of years, the death of his oldest child. And it is the enemy who wants to kill and destroy your family. The enemy wants to kill and destroy your family. And he's going to work and work and work to get your family. And the only real remedy, the only safe place is in the kingdom of Jesus, is right in the kingdom of Jesus. All right, so let's switch over to Naomi. Let's look at Naomi. And an interesting thing has happened. Naomi means my delight. And uh, she left, we are told, Bethlehem full this was a wealthy landowning family. An Ephratite is a, an, a, a, one of the characteristics of this uh, people who lived in Bethlehem who had land and were, were wealthy. But somewhere in the understandable sadness of losing her husband and her two sons, somewhere in the mix of that, her heart shifted gradually, maybe imperceptibly, over to bitterness to self-pity. And she started throwing a self-pity party for herself. She is full of this now and begins to believe that God 
is against her. She actually believes the lie and states the lie that God is against her. But the the saddest thing is she's totally focused on herself. She's so focused on herself that she says when she comes home to the women of Bethlehem, I've left full and I've come back empty, completely ignoring the fact that Ruth is right with her. Ruth is right beside her and she's totally ignoring Ruth's loyalty and presence. One of my neighbors lost his son who was 26 years old about 18 months ago and he's been so distraught that he's been plunged into this Naomi complex, plunged into bitterness and self-pity. His life is totally closed down. He is spending two hours at the gravesite every day. It's been 20 months. There's no hope. There's no talking to him. And his life is starting to have the qualities of the other brother I told you about. And he's, he's closed down. Now, he does not know the living God. So it is understandable in my My desire is to introduce him to the living God who can give him hope. But this happens over and over again. One of the wings of our family lost a son, but the parents ignored the other four children that they had for at least 10 years. They were just plunged into self-absorption and bitterness. And um, the Lord doesn't want that. The Lord is... Showing us Naomi today to set... There's some of us here who, who need to be set free from this condition. And, and in James chapter 5, verse 11, God says this. He says, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord doesn't want us dwelling in that place and certainly dwelling in ourselves. He wants to enter our grief and heal that and bring us to himself. Now we have a a woman in our congregation, Mary Wiseman, who's here with us today, who experienced horrific loss with the suicide of her husband and son, only son. And in the midst of that grief... And in the midst of this choice that we have in the middle of our grief, she decided to start a ministry called Grief Share at our congregation here. And she decided, furthermore, to work on Saturdays serving chemotherapy patients as they receive their infusions. These are patients that are facing death at Bethesda North. Now this response is... Jesus-centered. It is, it is other-centered. It is, I would say, by knowing her, healing her in ways that she would, she would ne- never be able to predict, but healing her as others are being healed. This is the way of the kingdom. And this is what, this is what God's trying to teach us as we look at this character Naomi. And what can we learn from Naomi? We can learn that we need to expect loss, expect 
sadness, expect hardship as a reality of life in a broken world. We need to recognize that it comes and we need to see and we need to decide in advance how we're going to respond and trust God. Like an athlete decides in advance the training regimen, we need to decide in advance the training regimen for our souls that will make us aware and that we will not engage in self-condemnation or self-pity or even self-sufficiency. But we will uh, turn to a community, turn uh, to a God who loves us. And this is the lesson of Ruth. Ruth comes onto the pages of Scripture in a dark time. Her name means friendship. Now, her country, countryman, who was married to the other brother, her sister-in-law, is Orpah. That means gazelle. And like a gazelle, she was back to where her people were. But not, not Ruth. Ruth clings to Naomi. Now, that word, cling there, happens in the Bible for the first time in Genesis chapter 2, where Adam and Eve cling to one another. It's the word that denotes covenant. It's the word that is, uh, denotes this lifelong commitment in the marriage context. But it's also in Deuteronomy chapter 10 where God says, hold fast to your God. And it is the, the same word that talks about clinging to God. Even when we don't understand, even when we're not sure What's going on? Even when our hearts are being just damaged by the life around us, she embraces covenant love. She puts her faith in the God of Israel. She lays, she draws a line in the sand and she says, look, I'm going to be with your people. They're going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God until death. Until death. It's a beautiful verse, verse 16. It's recited at a lot of weddings because it expresses this covenant love that God has for us. But here's what she does she completely breaks with her past. She completely breaks with her past. She loves the God of Israel with all her heart. She is obviously heard from him in some way. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. She has somewhat, somehow heard of this God of Israel and has said, I'm in. I'm in for this God of Israel. She also lays down her life for Naomi. She says, I'm going to be with you until death. And she makes a vow to love her Mother-in-law. Now that is James chapter 1, verse 27, where, where James says this is true religion when you actually love orphans and widows. She's actually practicing true religion here. And she walks confidently into something she has no idea what she's in for. The future is uncertain. It is unseen. But what she has seen is she has seen pagan Moab. 
She has seen children sacrificed to this God. She has seen the result of the worship of Baal. She has seen the dead end of this way of living. And she has broken completely from that. She has broken completely from that. And she sets the standard for what it means to follow Jesus. Because he's asking us to follow him. He's asking us for a clean break from our past. All the injury, all the grief, all the disappointment, all the failures, everything, all the unanswered questions about the future because we are walking with him who died for us on the cross, who calls us into his life, not out of this power manipulation, but out of a love that cost him everything. And so he rightly demands a break from our past and that we would no longer hold on to sin. He's, he's speaking to all of the Elimelechs in the room. I want you to break from your past. He's speaking to all the Naomi's in the room. I want you to break from your past. And she sees that somehow all roads do not lead to God, but the road in Moab leads to death. And the road of the God of Israel leads to life. And she puts her faith in the God of Israel. This is the call of Advent to put ourselves completely in the hands of the God of Israel, Jesus Christ. The scriptures talk about this faith and and here's how they describe it in Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So the application from Ruth is to make a break from our past. And that means, more than anything, to hate our sin. To hate the parts of our lives that would live without God, that would cling to immorality or anything else in our lives, but to come completely out of the dark into the light of the kingdom of heaven. One young man who did that in Ruth's style was a man named William Borden. William Borden was born in 1887. He graduated high school in 1904. He was a zillionaire of the Borden Dairy Empire of Chicago. His graduation gift from high school was a trip around the world, which in 1904 was quite a project. But as he went around the world, he began to see the difference between the faith he was raised with and faith of different people all over the world, Muslims, Buddhists, uh, and so forth. And he began to realize that there was something about Jesus and he was drawn to the people of China, specifically the Muslims in Western China. So he came back to get educated. He went to Yale. He started a Bible study on the Yale campus. In his freshman year, he had 150 students in his Bible study out of 1,300 students in the whole college. By his fourth year, there were 1,000 in the Bible study. And he was 
on fire for Christ. And he told his family, I'm leaving everything and I'm going to China. So after graduating, he got on the boat. He went first to Egypt to learn Arabic so he could speak to the Muslims. He began to learn Arabic in Egypt and suddenly he got spinal meningitis and he died at age 25. When his family got his Bible and his personal effects, he had written in the inside of his Bible in three different dates as the God of the universe called him progressively, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And you might look at that life and you might say, wow, that didn't work out to whole hill of beans. But what William Borden demonstrates is a life that is anchored in the faith, who is broken from his past, all of it, who has no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. So what do we learn from Ruth chapter 1? Well, first of all, we learn that we need to turn from our sin no matter what, no matter what the cost is, to make a clean break from our past. Not to play around with the God of the universe. And whether that is selfishness, immorality, substance abuse, uh, whatever it might be, if it's even the sin of trusting in our stuff instead of our God, he's saying, turn from that, no matter what the cost. Secondly, he's saying, take every significant decision to Jesus. There are so many of us who will take a trip or take a job in some other part of the country. It happens a lot here. And oftentimes there's been no evidence of God leading. There's been no, there's been no speaking into that. There's been no prayer. And we wonder why things fall off the rails. To commit to having an accountable community wisdom around us that can speak into the things of life to decide in advance how we're going to respond to difficulty and trial, to take everything that we have by way of trial to Jesus. He is, a, he is familiar with trial. He's familiar with suffering, remember. So we can bring things to him. We can seek healing and right thinking. We all get out of whack and we all, get, we all get turned around in what's really going on in our lives and we need perspective. We need healing. And then finally, as, as we saw from Elkanah, to let the Holy Spirit take possession of us. To, to take possession of us. That the Spirit totally, totally fills our lives. Now, what we're talking about here is a clear call to radical faith. We're talking about hating sin. We're talking about turning from the things that are not of God. This, this is the spirit of Advent. It's a, it's a time to really turn and consecrate. I know this will sound crazy at this time of the season, but this is, this is where joy is. This is where joy is, real joy. So I'm also saying, like, guys, let's not, 
lose sight of Christmas and lose sight of what's actually going on. Let's not take on a load of debt, for God's sake. Let's not take on a load of calories that we don't need. Let's not be here in January, you know, in in repentance. Let's do the repenting now. And let's be shining lights like Ruth in a crooked and perverse generation. And it, it starts with hating our sin. It starts with truly repenting, truly turning to God, not fooling around, taking everything captive to Him. That's what He wants today. That's what He wants today. So we're just going to finish the, ser- the service this morning. Uh, we're just going to have a little bit of music. And I want to give you some time to do business with God. Talk with your spouse or who you came with, your friend, who you came with today. Pray together. I, I sensed uh, as I was preparing this message that there are those of us who have things in our lives that we've never shared with another human being. Whether it's shame or guilt, or some kind of secret, we have, we have buried it. Part of breaking completely with our past is to bring that in the light. Don't let the enemy get a foothold in your life. And in that, whether it's shame or guilt, today... God wants to take that from you. He wants to take it and he wants to turn it into loving, deep, real faith. That's what he wants to do with it. So all you Elimelechs and all of us who are in that Lone Ranger category, all of us Naomi's, uh, we, we need to turn completely. For some... There's crazy stuff in your past that you're just, you're letting the enemy dangle over you. Thinking that when someone knows about it, they're not going to like you anymore. It's exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. And in the spirit this morning, there were a couple of things that God put on my heart, specifically abortion. You've been party to an abortion or you've had an abortion and it's like a black cloud hanging over your life. And I'm here to tell you that the cross paid for that. Confess it, bring it in the light and get free of it. There are others with just secrets. Secret bank accounts. I know, that sounds crazy, but a bank account your spouse doesn't know about your little stash of trust that you're keeping over there. God says no. Hate sin. Hate sin. Hate sin. And then there's fear. There's an accident you didn't take responsibility for. In the spirit, there's Yeah, I'm hearing shame. Just shame that the enemy just wants to smear over you. So, no, no more. Not today. Today we walk like Ruth. 
Today we walk like Ruth. We take a break from our past and we dive into Advent. We dive into Advent hungry for God. Hungry for God. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to give you some time to do business with God. When, when you've done that, I would like to invite you to come up to the communion tables. We're not having communion today. But we have there a family, one per family, a package of cards that will lead you through the Advent season and allow you with your friends and your small group, allow you with your family to talk about and consider, compare the story of Ruth and the story of Mary and consider what God is showing you and how you can embrace faith, how you can deal and receive the grace of God, how you can walk in obedience uh, in your destiny and to walk through this whole month together uh, with activities and things to do. Just a, a practical way to bring this into your life uh, for Advent. So, Father, I just ask now by your Spirit that you would touch each person here, that you would do business with your people, that you would take this story and bring it alive in our hearts, that by the Holy Spirit we would hate our sin, we would turn to you, we would put things in the light, we would be free free, Lord, to receive all that you have for us. We thank you for the patience and the unending love with which you extend these challenging invitations to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have some prayer teams on each side if you would like prayer. Like I said, just meditate. Let the Lord speak to you. Uh, Pray together. Come and get your family pack. And when you're ready, um, you can be dismissed.